is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. A shout out to my dear brother-in-law Joe Strauss, who's very old tonight, and we love Joe, and we're praying for him, and we wish the absolute best for him. All right. So the uh, the House of Representatives has voted to hold Steve Bannon in contempt. Let me say this. I hold the House of Representatives in contempt. I hold these Democrats in contempt. They're holding Bannon in contempt, and they want him in prison. They want him in prison. They didn't want Eric Holder in prison when he was held in contempt, and the matter was referred to the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Department of Justice with fast and furious that actually cost somebody their life, where they were actually sending and directing Uh, gun sales to go into Mexico where they could track the guns. Genius. Genius. Hillary Clinton should have been in prison many, many times, even starting as first lady. But she was very lucky. She had that fraud as the director of the FBI who passed on pushing for her indictment. All she did was clean her server So you couldn't get access to our emails during the course of a criminal investigation. Gee, I wonder about that, don't you? That's right, Hunter Biden. He's still loose around the nation. The president's son, who was was trying one time after another with the communist Chinese, with the Ukrainians, with anybody else, to shake them down in their father's name. And now we know they even had a joint bank account. They even had a joint bank account, but nobody calls for a special counsel to investigate that. No. We have Eric Swalwell. In the good old days, when we had a serious FBI senior management, he'd be investigated for espionage. Why? Well, let me put it to you this way. He was colluding with a communist Chinese spy. A birthing person, actually. 
And what did the Democrats do? They put him back on the Intelligence Committee and on the impeachment committees. That's how much they respect you. We have the President of the United States who's violating several immigration federal statutes, which also violates the Constitution, Article 1, Section 3, but he doesn't care. Neither do they. Neither do they. We have an Attorney General of the United States who has violated the First Amendment of the Constitution, but they don't care. Big deal. We have school districts trying to impose critical race theory and transgenderism ideology on little kids in violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, in my view, as well as the 1964 Civil Rights Act. But big deal! Steve Bannon needs to go to prison, ladies and gentlemen. Now, where's the evidence that Steve Bannon had anything to do with violent activities on January 6th? There's none. None. Criminal investigations are done by the Department of Justice. They haven't subpoenaed anything from Steve Bannon. Nothing. They're already conducting 630 investigations and counting. Because, as you know, trespass and parading on federal property is a grave threat to the republic. Grave threat. Grave threat. Burning our cities... Brutalizing police officers, attacking a federal courthouse night after night for over two months, trying to overthrow our country. Ah, mostly peaceful. What the hell? What the hell? So we have to sit here and watch this as Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney. She's a good Stalinist, it turns out. She's a good Stalinist. The whole committee's filled with Stalinists. They all have reached their conclusion that Donald Trump needs to go to prison, that Steve Bannon needs to go to prison, that everybody around him needs to go to prison. You know, why do I call them a good Stalinist? First of all, this is a little Politburo. They only put people on this committee, only put people on this committee who've already stated their end goal, who've already stated the consequences of their investigation. That's number one. Number two, Congress doesn't conduct criminal investigations or pre-investigations for criminal investigations. That's not its job. It's to legislate and, of course, spend us into oblivion and bankruptcy. That's number two. Number three, the communist Chinese are threatening us. The fascist Russians are threatening us. The Islamo-Nazis in Tehran. The inbred in North Korea. Our borders are wide open. People pouring in here by the millions. All kinds of diseases, criminals and what have you. Fentanyl, sex trafficking. As an affirmative result of this president and the Democrat Party. They threaten the United States Supreme Court by hanging a dark cloud over their head, constantly talking about how they're going to reform the court. You know, like good Soviets. They want to get rid of the filibuster rule so their agenda can be rammed down our throats in the dark of night without us knowing anything about it, Miles get rid of the whole damn Senate then. And it goes on and on and on, nationalizing our economy, undermining private property rights, no respect for unalienable rights with their damn mandates left and right. 
But don't worry. Liz Cheney and the boys, Liz Cheney and the boys, they're on top of it. They're focused full-time on Steve Bannon. And they don't have any predicate whatsoever. Nothing. Zero. Now, they haven't issued a subpoena for Nancy Pelosi's records. So we can determine exactly what she did during the course of this event. None of her records, none of her phone calls. We already know. Hash Patel was on my Sunday show a few weeks back, and he said her concern was, how are we going to get food to our members? How are we going to get food? I like ice cream. Ice cream, you know, $16 for a quarter quart. That's right, I want my ice cream. And, of course, her makeup. Yes, that's right. Probably her depends, too. I just hear, I don't know. What do I know? What do I know? Now with the Attorney General of the United States before the so-called House Judiciary Committee. The Democrats were slobbering all over him. The Democrats do not care about civil liberties. The Democrats do not care about your right to protest, your right to free speech, your right to association. No, 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 no. Because you're not burning down cities. That's right. You're white supremacists. Even if you're not white, it doesn't matter. You're a parent, you're a taxpayer, you're obviously a white supremacist. You're very upset about what the teachers' unions and the educational bureaucracy and the clowns who get elected to the school board. You're very concerned about how they're imposing critical racist theory and transgender on your children, uh, your own flesh and blood. But for all these years, they said, we need parental involvement in our schools. Now, that's how we improve our schools. We need parental involvement. So the parents are involved. They saw what were happening to their kids. They watched it right on the computer monitors. Two years ago. And they didn't like it one damn bit. And so the National School Board Association, a Democrat operation, without consulting a state school board associations that pay their fees, writes a letter in concert with the White House and the Department of Justice, an inside job. Sends it to the White House. Five days later, voila. A memo comes out from the Attorney General of the United States that any good Soviet KGB general could have written. That's right, I said it. That's correct. Any good Soviet KGB general could have written. Where does Liz Cheney stand on this? Nobody knows. She's very, very busy. Very busy. It's disgusting. Now, when we come back... I want to congratulate the Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee. They did a fantastic job today. They only got five minutes each. But they were outstanding, every single one of them. It made me proud. It really did. And we're going to spend a lot of time on this because this is your country. These are your schools. That First Amendment belongs to you. Not to Congress. Not to the Department of Justice. Those Bill of Rights belong to individual American citizens. I'll be right back. Mark. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? 
This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. All right, folks, we've got a lot to cover, but it's great. It's great. The Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee today, many of you were working or doing other things. You couldn't watch it. That's what I'm here for. The cleanup hitters, Rush used to call me. That's exactly correct. Jim Jordan at the Justice Department oversight today. And you'll notice, ladies and gentlemen, even though the October, uh, even though, excuse me, the National School Board letter was out there, We broke it nationally here. You'll notice the October 4 memo, it was out there. We broke it nationally here. You'll notice the response uh, from American Legal First was out there, but we broke it first here nationally and gave it the kind of coverage and the kind of push that it needed. And you'll see many of the arguments that I made right off the bat behind this microphone are being made today. Jim Jordan. Cut to the attorney general sitting there, oversight hearing, go. Chairman just said the Trump DOJ was political and went after their opponents. Are you kidding me? Three weeks ago, the National School Board Association writes President Biden asking him to involve the FBI in local school board matters. Five days later, the attorney general of the United States does just that. Does exactly what a political organization asked to be done. Five days. We've sent, Republicans on this committee have sent the Attorney General 13 letters in the last six months. It takes weeks and months to get a response. Eight of the letters, we've got nothing. They just gave us the finger, said, we're not going to get back to you. And all our letters were actually sent to the Attorney General. Here's a letter sent to someone else asking for a specific thing to be done, and in five days, the Attorney General does it. Here's what the October 4th memo said. Quote, I'm directing the FBI to convene meetings with local leaders. These meetings will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting. Dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting. A snitch line on parents started five days after a left-wing political organization asked for it. That's not political. I don't know what is. Where's the dedicated lines of communication with local leaders regarding our southern border? Something that frankly is a federal matter. Where's the dedicated lines of communication on violent crime in our cities? Violent crime that has went up in every major urban area where Democrats have defunded the police. Nope, can't do that. Can't do that. The Biden Justice Department is going to go after parents who object to some racist hate America curriculum. Nope, can't focus on the southern border where 1.7 million illegal encounters have happened this year alone. A record, a record number. MS-13 can just waltz right across the border, but the Department of Justice, they're going to open up a snitch line on parents. I'm telling you, Jordan was outstanding, as he always is, as were several of the others, and you're going to hear from them. Because this needs to be said while we can still speak as a free people. 
the tyrannical conduct of this White House and its supporters, whether they're in the media, academia, or quite frankly, the corporatists, is unbelievable. The mandates, firing people who are unvaccinated, including people who don't need a vaccine because they have something better called natural immunity, antibodies, or people who have a true religious exemption, which is protected under the federal constitution, many state constitutions, and under federal statute. Which is why I spent a lot of time earlier in the week, a full hour and a half or so, explaining legal cases that can be brought against these employers. But Mark, I don't have the money. That's why you pulled together the resources with several of you in each one of these major or mid-sized corporations and sue their ass. Because in my view, you have a better than 50-50 chance of winning. Not just talking, not drama, but actually take them on. Conduct depositions. Conduct discovery. Put the head of human resources on the stand in a deposition. Put the CEO or board members through depositions. In fact, record them. Make them public. There are many things you can do. I'm an activist. Not a showboat. I'm an activist. There are things that you can do to bring these big, powerful, multi-billion dollar global corporations to their knees. That's the whole point of Chapter 7 in American Marxism. You can do this. If you pull together, pull your resources in any company, same with the police force, same with firefighters, same with nurses. You need to have lawyers who are serious, who are ready to fight for you, not just collect a fee. And they're out there. They're out there. But more than that, look what they want to do now with, the, with this budget they want to pass, the spending they want to pass. What do they want? Do they want to monitor your loans and your bank accounts, your checking account, your savings account? They want to monitor your everyday activities? They say they're going after billionaires when they're targeting you? They want to take over what's left of the health care system? Push your kids into government-run school? I mean, this is a disaster, but I've got a lot more. Stick with me. I'll be right back. Liberty's Voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now, 877-381-3811. You know, as a side point, as you know, I'm in here in Virginia. I watch these ads the Democrats run. They're just so disgusting, loathsome liars. This is the only way they can ever win. They never want to run on their records. They never want to run on their opponents' records. It's truly disgusting. You got Manchin now buckling. Word is starting to get out that cinema may be buckling. And this is how it works. This is how it works. And all you're going to hear about is process. That they're working with each other, they're negotiating, they're trying to get done by the end of the week, maybe they'll get done over the weekend. Blah, blah. And you're sitting there wondering, what the hell are they talking about? Because you are cut out of the process. This is a game for Washington. It's a game for the Washington media. 
And keeping it a game and keeping it surface and superficial level means that you're never going to know the real content until these laws are in place. And maybe you're arrested one day or you get a fine or a penalty or you say to an accountant, what the hell, I didn't know this was in the bill. Exactly. This is not a constitutional republic. I don't know what it is anymore, but it's certainly not. Jim Jordan again at the hearing today with Merrick Garland sworn in in front of him. Cut three, go. Mr. Chairman, Americans are afraid. For the first time during my years in public office, first time, I talked to the, the, the good folks I get the privilege of representing in the 4th District of Ohio, folks all around the country, they tell me for the first time they fear their government. And frankly, I think it's obviously why, obvious why. Every single liberty we enjoy under the First Amendment has been assaulted over the last year. Stop and think about it. Americans were told you couldn't go to church, couldn't go to work, couldn't go to school. Small business owners were told you're not an essential business, close your doors, causing many of them to go bankrupt. We were given curfews, stay-at-home orders. Last fall in Ohio, you had to be in your home at 10. In Pennsylvania, when you were in your home, you had to wear a mask. In Vermont, when you were in your home, you didn't have have to wear a mask because you weren't allowed to have friends and family over. And of course, there's always a double standard with these folks. Folks who make the rules never seem to follow them. And now the Biden administration says, get a vaccine or lose your job. Even if you've had COVID and have natural immunity, get a vaccine or you will lose your job. Oh, I almost forgot. The Biden administration also wants another dedicated line of communication for reporting. They want a second snitch line. They want banks to report on every single transaction over $600 for every single American to the IRS. The IRS, that agency with its stellar record of customer service, the IRS, you know, the same IRS that targeted conservatives the last time Joe Biden was in the executive branch. Jefferson said once, tyranny is when the people fear the government. We're there. Sadly, we are there. But I don't think, I don't think the good people, I don't think the good people of this great country are going to cower and hide. I think your memo, Mr. Attorney General, was the last straw. I think it was the catalyst for a great awakening that is just getting started. Pilots at Southwest Airlines, the Chicago Police Union, parents at school board meetings, Americans are pushing back because Americans value freedom. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Terry McAuliffe said this, I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. When government tells parents we're smarter than you, Americans aren't going to tolerate it. When the Attorney General of the United States sets up a snitch line on parents, Americans aren't going to tolerate it. I think they're going to stand up to this accelerated march to communism that we now see. America's going to fight the good fight. They're going to finish the course. They're going to keep the faith because Americans value freedom. That's exactly right. And you folks in this audience have so much to do with this. You heard Jim Jordan. The march to communism. You never would have heard that three, four, five, six months ago. We choose freedom. We value freedom, he says. The last chapter of American Marxism. We choose liberty. You're having an impact on this country, ladies and gentlemen. You're speaking out. Neighbor to neighbor. Parent to parent. Taxpayer to taxpayer. You're speaking out. Many of you are organizing. You're showing up in places you never showed up before. This is very, very, very important. 
And I would say to the people of Virginia, you're now on ground zero. How much more are you going to put up with the lies from Terry McAuliffe, the lies from this existing attorney general who's been attorney general for eight years, his crime has gone through the roof? How they're lying, this attorney general, how they're lying. Because the Republican candidate got support from the Republicans Governor Association, so they're now running an ad saying the Republican Governors Association supports domestic terrorism. That's how sick this is. And Terry McAuliffe is so weak, he's so pathetic. He has to rely on Obama and Joe Biden and Joe Biden and, and whoever else will come into the state to campaign for him because he can't stand on his own two feet. He's a coward. He's a fraud. Have we ever reached out to that campaign, Mr. Producer? We haven't heard back. Mr. Tough Guy doesn't want to come on this program. I wonder why. I wonder why. All right, now Merrick Garland responds to Jim Jordan, and Jim Jordan responds to him. Cut four, go. I want to be clear as I can be. This is not about what happens inside school board meetings. It's only about threats of violence and violence aimed at school officials, school employees, and teachers. First sentence of your memo, the very first, first me- sentence, you said, in recent months there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, threats of violence. Yes. When did you first review the data showing this so-called disturbing uptick? So I read the letter, and we have been seeing over time threats. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't ask you. So you read the letter. That's, that's your source? So let me be clear. This is not a prosecution or an investigation. Is there investigation. some study, some effort, some investigation someone did that said there's been a disturbing uptick, or you just take the words of the National School Board Association? When the National School Board Association, which represents thousands of school boards and school board members, says that there are these kind of threats... When we read in the newspapers reports of threats of violence, when that is in the context of threats of violence... The source for this, for the very first line in your your mouth... Time of the gentleman has expired. Ah, shut up, Nadler, you moron. Expired. Boy, I'll tell you what. So what Jordan was able to... uh, to find out here is Garland did no independent review. The Department of Justice did no independent review. Instead, they just took the letter, which was composed with assistance from the White House and I believe the Department of Justice, something that we need to get to the bottom of. And soon, and soon, it continues. Cut five, go. What the White House told you to write the memo. No one in the White House spoke to me about the memo at all. But I, I am sure, um, I was, at least I certainly would believe, that the uh, White House um, communicated its concerns about the letter to the Justice Department, and that is Oh, that was my next question. Did you or anyone at the Justice Department discuss the memo with White House personnel or with anyone at the White House before the memo was sent? I did not. I don't know whether anyone discussed the memo. Let, let's stop right there. This man knows he's coming in front of a hearing. He knows this letter is going to be discussed, his memo. He knows it's going to be discussed. And he doesn't call his staff around and say, okay, who was involved in this letter? Give me the whole background about this National School Board. Who went over there and met with the White House? Who at the White House met here? Who did we speak to? And so forth and so on. You're telling me that American Legal First, the conservative legal foundation, knew more than the Attorney General of the United States, folks? That's an impossibility. Because the Justice Department 
and its officials, they're not just witnesses, they're participants. They're participants. Go ahead. Communication from the National Association of School Boards um, was uh, discussed between uh, between the White House and the Justice Department, and that's perfectly appropriate. Just as with those individuals, who at the White House talked with, who at the Justice Department? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Talk to you. Did someone call you? I I think I've answered. No one from the White House spoke to me, but the White House is um, perfectly appropriately concerned about violence, just like they're concerned about what violence, Attorney General. What violence? Go ahead. And they make uh, requests of the Justice Department in that respect, just like they're... Did you or anyone at the Department of Justice communicate with the American Federation of Teachers, the National Education Association, the National School Boards Association prior to your memo? I did not. I don't know. You don't know if anyone else at the Justice Department did? I don't know. You know, if it, did, did you or anyone at the Justice Department communicate with those, those organizations, AFT, NEA, National School Board Association, prior to the letter? Did you help the National School Board Association put together the letter? Again, not. I, I have had no such conversations. I would be surprised if, in, if that happened, but I don't know. He doesn't know. Sounds feeble to me. He doesn't know because he doesn't want to know because he didn't ask. Here's my next question. Who wrote the letter? Who wrote the memo? Which staffer brought it to you to sign? Now, I know as a former chief of staff, let me explain something. The attorney general doesn't sit in his office and typically write memos. Now, it's happened. My attorney general did on occasion, but typically he doesn't know anything. See, so it was brought to him. It was a, it was a deal put together by the White House and people in the Department of Justice, probably the Civil Rights Division. Because she's a reprobate, the one that heads Clark. And as this passes through for approval to reach the Attorney General, uh, there is a system in place, I know because I put it in place when I was Chief of Staff to the Attorney General, for sign-offs. So if it goes from the head of the Civil Rights Division, typically then it'll go to the Associate Attorney General, the Deputy Attorney General, go to the Chief of Staff to the Attorney General, and then into the Attorney General through the executive secretariat that typically reports to the chief of staff, as it reported to me. So there's fingerprints all over this memo. Fingerprints all over this memo. So I want to encourage all of you out there, go ahead and file a Freedom of Information Act request and ask for all the information related to the memo, anybody who was involved, any office that went through within the Department of Justice. The legal groups out there, I would encourage you to do the same thing. The parents groups, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Offense, 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 activism. Activism. And if you need to bring a lawsuit, you can contact Landmark Legal. You can contact uh, American First Legal. You can contact Judicial Watch. There's a number of organizations out there that can help you. A number of organizations can help you. There's a lot more. I think you're going to find this quite fascinating. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, we have some breaking news here. 
The Washington Free Beacon, Chuck Ross. A second source now. We had the American Legal First. Now we have the Washington Free Beacon. The country's largest school board association collaborated with the Biden White House before sending a controversial letter calling on the FBI to investigate parents as potential domestic terrorists, according to previously unreported emails. The emails obtained by Parents Defending Education. There you go, boys and girls. Wonderful. Through public records requests. This is what I've been talking about. And reviewed by the Washington Free Beacon. Reveal that the National School Board Association's president and CEO sent the letter to Biden on September 29 without approval from the organization's board of directors. The letter said that the acts of some parents at school board meetings across the country could be considered, quote, a form of terrorism and hate crimes. All right. The letter makes clear, excuse me, the emails also show that the White House asked the association, the White House asked the association, for examples of threats against school board members days before Attorney General Merrick Garland created a task force of officials from the FBI and the Justice Department to determine how to prosecute alleged crimes at school board meetings. The letter makes clear that the White House was aware of the letter before it was released, while raising questions about whether the White House colluded with the association on the letter to prompt federal action. The letter has sparked allegations that the Biden administration is trying to stifle dissent among parents who oppose mass mandates, the teaching of critical race theory at schools. School board meetings have become battlegrounds for factions of parents torn on the issues. Parents in some districts have organized recall efforts to remove school board members who support mandates or radical curricula. The emails also show that members of the National School Board Association's board of directors voiced frustration that officials sent the letter out without their approval. One director at the association said the letter had reawakened hostilities that were just beginning to subside. Quote, many of us have been put in a position now of explaining or defending this action of our association as we are asked by members of our community if we consider them domestic terrorists for showing up to our meetings and expressing their opinions, John W. Hotkiss, a director from the association's central region, wrote on October 1. He said that he and other board members would not have likely approved the letter, which he said used terms that were extreme and asked for action by the federal government that many of us would not request. Viola Garcia, the president of the association, and Chip Slavin, the CEO, disclosed in their other emails to the board that they had been in consultation with the White House and the Department of Education regarding an alleged rise in cases of irate parents showing up at school board meetings. Irate parents? I don't know. Is that like Black Lives Matter? Burning down cities? I don't think so. Garcia wrote in an email to the board on October 2 that the association had been engaged with the White House and Education Department, quote, for several weeks on the school board protests, we felt compelled to say something when we started hearing about threats, harassment, acts of intimidation at school board meetings. By the way, she's a left-wing hack. And so is Slavin. Garvin and Slavin did not respond to requests for comments. And it goes on, and they have copies of the emails with redactions. I'm telling you, Freedom of Information Act requests and that sort of thing, ladies and gentlemen, very, very important as I explain in Chapter 7 of the book. But now we know the White House, the Department of Justice, 
specifically the Civil Rights Division, and the Department of Education, there's a new one, all colluded to put out that letter to attack parents and citizens. Why? They are scared to death about the election in Virginia because they want Terry McAuliffe to win. They are scared to death that parents across this country are going to rise up and take down this monopoly, these school teachers' unions, and take on the educational bureaucrats and put people on school boards who are responsible people who care about quality education. Obviously, the Democrat Party supports none of that. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. (laughs) Excuse me. I am here. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you're hearing on TV and radio things that we discussed two weeks ago, things that we brought to you two weeks ago, assumptions I made based on experience and knowledge that I made two weeks ago that have turned out to be correct about the National School Board Association letter, about the memo that the Attorney General signed, the period of time between that letter that was sent to the Biden Presidents sent to President Biden, excuse me, and then the quick action by the Department of Justice. I told you then that was collusion. There had to be collusion, and there was. And more and more is being learned about this, but not enough. And so this is very, very important. I discussed it behind this microphone. I discussed it at length on Levin TV. I discussed it at length on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin last Sunday and the Sunday before last Sunday. So we do have an effect. You do have an effect. That's very, very important. Now let us continue with this hearing today at the House Judiciary. Everybody wants to talk about the January 6th committee. That is a fraudulent committee filled with never-Trumpers and American Marxists. I don't mind the Department of Justice going after violent rioters, Why would I oppose that? I've never opposed that. What I mind is the way people are being treated who weren't violent rioters and this rogue Nancy Pelosi Soviet-style committee where everybody's made up their mind. Now they're just throwing subpoenas everywhere and trying to jail people they don't like. That's the world Liz Cheney wants for America, I guess. Now, Steve Chabot, here he is, also uh, going back and forth with... uh, That's Steve Chabot uh, with Merrick Garland. Cut six, go. So, Mr. Attorney General, let me ask you this. According to the Sarasota Herald Tribune, one example of a so-called terrorist incident was apparent, merely questioning whether school board members had earned their high school diplomas. Now, that might have been rude, but does that seem like an act of domestic terrorism that you or your Justice Department ought to be investigating? Absolutely not, and I want to be clear, the Justice Department uh, supports and defends the First Amendment right of parents to complain as vociferously as they wish. No, no, you don't. 
because the letter that you put out, that memo that you put out, was intended to chill speech. It had no other purpose. And the fact that you empowered and armed the most aggressive aspects of the Department of Justice, of which I am very familiar, the Criminal Division, the Civil Rights Division, the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorneys, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the National Security Division, and told them to use the domestic terrorism hotline if anybody felt threatened or harassed or what have you. That's not somebody who believes in free speech. You know, they read your resume out there, Garland. They read your resume. You were a principal associate deputy attorney general. I was one too. You were a deputy assistant attorney general. I was one too. You were an assistant U.S. attorney. You were a federal judge. Now you're the attorney general. What a resume. And yet you're still ignorant and illiterate when it comes to the First Amendment. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And you play rope with though. You had no idea that your department and the Department of Education and the White House were colluding. No idea whatsoever. You read the thing and you just sign it. No big deal. No big deal. And you never even stop to think for a minute and say, wait a minute. I can't sign this thing. Who the hell would sign something like this? You would, pal. You did. So don't tell us what you believe. We read what you believe. Now our friend Chip Roy, who is a patriot, our friend Chip Roy had some back and forth with the Attorney General as well, Congressman from Texas. Cut seven, go. And also I care because on October 6th, a mere 15 days ago, inside Broad Run High School in Loudoun County, Virginia, a young girl was sexually assaulted. Attorney General Garland, are you aware because Loudoun County prosecutors confirmed that the boy who assaulted this young girl in Broad Run High School is the same boy who wore a skirt and went into a girl's bathroom, sodomized and raped a 14-year-old girl in a different Loudoun County High School on May 28th. Are you aware of those facts? The, the boy was, are you aware firmly, are you, Sorry, are you aware further that the boy was arrested and charged for the first assault in July but released from juvenile detention? This sounds like a state case, and I'm not familiar with it. I'm sorry. Do you agree with Loudon parents? You said it is not okay to allow a child that has been charged with a rape to go back into a school in that public school system. Again, I don't know any of the facts of this case, but, uh, but uh, the way you put it, it certainly sounds like I would agree with you. Is but FBI, I don't know the facts of the case. Is the FBI or the Department of Justice investigating the Loudon School Board for violating civil rights or under authority of, say, the Violence Against Women Act? Uh, I don't believe so, but I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on another matter, I didn't find the matter. Again, it was one of these patriotic parents groups. The conflict of interest between Merrick Garland, what he did, and his son-in-law's business, which is worth tens of millions of dollars. They're in 25% of the public schools in this country. And they promote, among other things, critical race theory. Critical race theory. Including in Fairfax County, Virginia, the county right next to Loudoun County, Virginia. You can see under the Democrats, Virginia's gone to hell. It's gone to hell. Mike Johnson, Republican, Louisiana. He was up next. Cut eight. Go. Question is... 
the thing that has concerned many of those parents that are showing up at these school board meetings, the, the, the very basis of their objection and their vigorous debate, as you mentioned earlier, is the curricula, the very curricula that your son-in-law is selling. So to millions of Americans, I mean, my constituents, I was home all weekend, I got an earful about this. They're very concerned about that. Subpart E of that federal regulation says an employee of the executive branch is discouraged from encouraging con engaging in conduct that's likely to affect the financial interest of someone close to them. Your, your son-in-law, your daughter, uh, clearly meets that definition. And, and so the question is, uh, did, did you follow that regulation? Did you have the appropriate agency ethic official look into this? Did you seek guidance as the federal regulation requires? This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand There's that, but no did, did, you, excuse me, did you seek ethics counsel before you issued a letter that directly relates to the financial interest of your family? Yes or no? This memorandum does not relate to the financial interests of anyone. It's a th it's against. I take that as a no. I take that as a no. Memorandum is against violence and threats of violence. I will, will you, Mr. Attorney General, will you commit to having the appropriate ethics designee review the case and make the results public? This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand your talking point. You're not answering my question, I'm Mr. Attorney General. With all due respect, will you submit to an ethics review of this matter, yes or no? There is no company in America or hopefully no law-abiding citizen in America who believes that threats of violence should not be prevented. There are no conflicts of interest that anyone could have. According to you, but sir, with due respect, that's the purpose of the federal regulation. We need objective third parties to review our activities. You don't get to make that decision yourself. It doesn't matter. You're the top, you're the chief law enforcement of this country. This raises questions in the minds of millions of Americans, and your impartiality is being called into question. Why would you not submit to a simple ethics review of that? I am exquisitely aware of the ethics requirements. But you're not following them. I have followed them and lived with them for the last 25 years. Did you seek an ethics review of this or not? I'm going to say again, there are no conflicts of interest involved when the Justice Department... Okay, okay. According to you, I got that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you are not respecting our rules, our constitutional norms, and the federal law that directly applies to your activities. Can you imagine if this were Bill Barr, what you'd be hearing? Can you imagine? I mean, what you're witnessing, ladies and gentlemen, is flat-out tyranny. Flat-out tyranny. This guy wants to come across as some kind of a feeble, bumbling fool, just like his boss, the President of the United States. But he knows exactly what he's done. He knows exactly what he's done. His answers are simply incredible. They're not believable. And this man was one step short of the Supreme Court. This is why Obama nominated him. Obama knew quite well what this man was and what he would do. He knew exactly what he would do. So this guy doesn't know anything. Doesn't know a thing. And yet that's his signature on that memo. That's his signature on that memo. He's responsible for it. Have you ever signed a tax return, ladies and gentlemen? Mr. Producer, I know you do. What is it? Under penalty of perjury? Well, here it's just under penalty of responsibility. Now, you can imagine the power that Joe Biden wants to give this department. 
and the Treasury Department and the other departments in terms of tracking your checking accounts and savings accounts and your borrowing habits, loans that you might take. Or if you sell a pickup truck that's, that's worth $12,000 and they want you to pay income taxes on it and they want to track it and they want to be able to question you and audit you, they want to hire. Listen to me. 85,000 new auditors. 85,000 new IRS auditors. 85,000 to track you. Mandates with people losing their jobs, even though they, they won't harm anybody because they have natural immunity. 85,000 new IRS auditors. The FBI, free to investigate parents at school board meetings. The southern border wide open. MS-13, drug cartels, fentanyl pouring into the border. Americans dying like never before. The murder rate through the roof. Through the damn roof. You want to give these bastards more power? Then vote for Terry McCullough. I'll be right back. in. By the way, I want to make another definitive factual statement. Now, if you have a small child in the car at home listening, cover their ears. Cover their ears. Because I want to do a little... Uh, I want to make a statement about biology and science. Although God knows what they hear in the classroom anymore, but cover their ears. I want to make a definitive, scientifically provable statement. If you have a vagina, you're female. If you have a penis, you're male. Okay? Now, if you decide to do things to your genitalia, it doesn't change a thing. We have something called chromosomes. This is science, by the way. And you don't even have to wear a mask. You don't even have to get a vaccine. If you have certain chromosomes, regardless of what you do to your genitalia, you're a male. If you have certain other chromosomes, regardless of what you do to that genitalia, you're a female. Got it? That's it. Sex class closed for the day, for the year, for the rest of my career. Now what I just said, now you can take your hands off your kids' ears, is apparently controversial. No, it's not. No, it's not. These are facts. Facts. That's the way it is. Well, what if you're born in a boy's body and you're really a girl, a girl's body... My attitude, maybe you need to see a psychiatrist or at least a psychologist. That's all. And if you want to do things to your body, do things to your body. But don't compel elementary school kids to learn about it and to normalize it and to give it civil rights. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Am I, am I not part of this culture? Yeah, maybe I'm not. But that's a footnote. All right, here we go. Greg Stubbe, Republican Florida, was outstanding today. Absolutely outstanding. And again, this riot that we saw at the Interior Department, which again, we were the first to point out, 
Not the first to discover, but to make a national issue. Well, it didn't really become a national issue because the media didn't give a damn about it. Why? Because these were no-growth, anti-capitalist Marxists who were rioting. I don't believe Liz Cheney has mentioned this. Liz Cheney is caught in her own sort of Stalinist box right now. Trump, get Trump, Trump, Bannon, get in jail, Bannon, Bannon. Liz, wake up now, now. Anyway, cut 10, go. You went on to describe January 6th, and I quote, as an assault on a mainstay of our democratic system. You have said that prosecuting extremist attacks on our democratic institution remains central to the mission of the Department of Justice. So suffice it to say, it's clear that you feel very strongly about using the full force of your position to prosecute those involved in the January 6th protests. What is not clear, however, is if you will use the same force against violent left-wing domestic terrorists. Just last week on October 14th, a group of extremist environmental and indigenous protesters forced their way into the Department of Interior. They fought with and injured security and police officers, sending some of those officers to the hospital. The extremists violently pushed their way into a restricted government building in an attempt to thwart the work of the Department of Interior. Police arrested at least 55 protesters on site, but others got away. Mr. Garland, do you believe that these environmental extremists who forced their way into the Department of Interior are also domestic terrorists? Uh, so uh, with, I'm not going to be able to reference that specific incident since this is the first I know about it. But I will say that the department does not care. So this is the first that you know about an incident where indi- protesters forced themselves into a federal government building right here in D.C. Like you didn't hear this about is, this at all. This particular example, it doesn't mean the Justice Department doesn't right, know about it. Hold on a second. It. Again, as a former chief of staff, the attorney general of the United States at least once a day, probably twice a day in our case, receives a thick compilation of events that take place that involve or may involve in the future the United States Department of Justice or some aspect of it. See, I know all this stuff because I've lived it. So he's a liar. He's doing this rope-a-dope stuff. I don't know about it. Maybe somebody at the department knows about it. Moreover, how do you miss it? It was on local TV. How do you miss it? It's on local television, the news. And he didn't know about it? Nobody told him about it? Go ahead. For what you're saying right now. But I want to be clear, we don't care whether the violence comes from the left or from the right or from the middle or from up or from down. We will prosecute violations of the law according to the statutes and facts that we have. Uh, This is a nonpartisan determination of how to do that. All right, I'll make it a little clearer for you. And we're all, most of us are lawyers here, so we use evidence in court. So you got two pictures here. One picture is from January 6th. We're running out of time this segment. So he shows him two photos. He shows what happened, a photo, to the Capitol building, the rushing of the building. And then he shows him a photo of the Interior Department, the rushing and breaking into the Interior Department. And he says, how come you know about one and extreme, you know, violence, and how come you don't know anything about the other? He says, I'm not going to comment on particular matters. Liz Cheney, can you comment?
Constitution Man. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. We've got more, a little more. I've never spent this much time on a hearing. But I thought this hearing was very, very important, and I felt the Republicans did a really a wonderful job. Our man Louis Gohmert was there, too, of course. And so he asks, well, I'll let him ask. Cut nine, go. But I want to take you to uh, January 6th. It's a very common topic here for uh, people. Um, has any defendant involved in the January 6th events been charged with insurrection? I, I don't believe so. Uh, well, that is the word most used by Democrats here on Capitol Hill by January 6th, but no one has been charged with it that we could find either. Doesn't matter. They want to call it an insurrection. And Liz Cheney, like a good Stalinist, has concluded that Donald Trump orchestrated the entire thing. Oh, yes. What Liz Cheney doesn't say, because she's turned out to be a pathological liar in my view, is that Donald Trump is the president that offered 10,000 to 20,000 National Guardsmen, which Nancy Pelosi did not accept. We know this from multiple sources, on the record, real names, not anonymous, including, well, it doesn't matter. So why aren't they subpoenaing Nancy Pelosi's records? Why aren't they deposing Nancy Pelosi? Because they're hatchet men and women for Nancy Pelosi. You see, the Bushies, the Cheneyites, the Never Trumpers, and of course, the American Marxists, the Democrats, they don't want Trump to run again. They want to brutalize the people around him and they want to brutalize Trump. And this is the nature of Stalinism and Maoism in these regimes. They go after individuals who they fear politically, who they fear will challenge them in the future. That's what they do. So the best way to take them out is to try and criminalize their behavior. Liz Cheney has posed as a hawk, as an anti-communist, and yet she's more similar to them uh, than uh, one might think. Just listen to how she speaks. Would the ends justify the means? Look how they conduct their phony investigations, throwing subpoenas all over the place. And then if you say, wait a minute, I'm not going to do that. The former president's asserting executive privilege. Well, he doesn't have the right to do that. Come on, let's throw Bannon in prison. She would have fit right in with the Brezhnev crowd. Regardless of what she has said all these years. Look, I was, I was uh, deceived as well, just like you. Utterly and completely deceived. All right, Merrick Garland again. Ken Buck of Colorado, former prosecutor himself. Cut 11, go. I have sent a letter to the Department of Justice before your tenure asking them to appoint a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden. I have uh, today sent a letter to you, and I am asking you uh, now, will you appoint a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden? I'm not, uh, for the same reason that I'm not um, able to respond to questions about investigations of the former president or of anyone else, I'm not unable, able to discuss uh, any investigations pending or otherwise with respect to any uh, citizen of the United States. Mr. Mr. 
uh, Attorney General, I worked for the Department of Justice for 15 years. You are allowed to tell us whether you will appoint a special counsel. You may not tell us whether you are uh, investigating or not investigating a particular matter, but you are allowed to tell us whether you will appoint a special counsel. And that's my question. Well, apparently I just received the letter today from you, and uh, we'll be taking it under advisement. But I, I know, I but you're pretty quick on those letters. Maybe what Congressman Buck should do, Mr. Producer, in America is send it to the President of the United States. Then it'll get to the Department of Justice lickety-split. Maybe in five days he'll get an answer. What do you think of that? Just follow what the National School Board Association did. Maybe that'll break it down and make it easier for the Attorney General to actually respond. All right. We, uh, of course, will return to this in the days and weeks ahead because, like a Doberman, I'm not letting go. There's a piece in PJ Media, another excellent site, by Stacy Lennox. Democrats are trying to prevent a huge red wave in 2022. These are the people who destroy democracy. I will be on Hannity, by the way, tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. On the Fox News Channel, 9 p.m. Eastern, immediately following the show. I mean immediately, immediately. I will move as quickly as I possibly can to get into that studio. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you will watch. It's going to be a great show. So she points out here, how do you know that Democrats think they'll lose the House majority in the midterms? And by the way, I am not, I don't play that. I'm not sanguine about it. I say, fight like you're behind and let's try and crush them. And I've looked at the, in some of these internal polls in Virginia. They've been provided to me. It is close. So there needs to be a big turnout by Republicans, independents, and Democrats who reject Terry McAuliffe uh, and reject everything that he and they stand for. It needs to be a very significant turnout on Election Day. So don't forget that. And you have the possibility of taking back the, uh, the House of Delegates in Virginia. I hope I hope that's what happens. Anyway, how do you know that Democrats think they will lose the House majority in the midterm, she writes, because they are already crafting the excuse. And they have Stacey Abrams, who, of course, lies about her race in Georgia. But that's okay. She's allowed to deny an election. What do you think about that, Liz? I bet Liz Cheney is no, no problem at all. What about Benny? Benny Johnson, the, uh, the chairman of the committee. Is he concerned about that? No, not in the least. It's Benny. Everyone knows Benny. Once again, Abrams was confident she could be the governor of Georgia and would have been if not for voter suppression, of course. Then the uh, Senate majority leader, such as he is, schmucky Chucky Schumer, brought S-2747, also known as the Freedom to Vote Act, up for a cloture vote. Republicans filibustered the bill, unanimously voting against it. Because they're obviously all white supremacists who support Jim Crow. I want you to listen to this. The bill is Senator Joe Manchin's so-called compromise bill to replace the For the People Act. When you hear it as a compromise bill, you may assume Republicans were on board. According to Jason Sneed, executive director of the Honest Elections Project, Manchin's only compromises were between the left and the radical left. Just like H.R. 1, this bill overrides state voter ID requirements bans election integrity measures for absentee voting, makes it harder for states to maintain updated, accurate voter registration rolls. This is the Manchin, you see, the moderate compromise. I don't trust this guy, Manchin. I don't trust this guy, Manchin. Period. 
He added, Americans want to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. These policies would instead make it easier to cheat and harder to stop. So what's going on here? Well, according to Sneed, Democrats need every door to be a target-rich environment. They're trying to establish a process where Americans need to do absolutely nothing to exercise their right to vote. They will be automatically registered, have a ballot mailed to them, then someone will show up at their door to help them fill it out and return it to the polling place. Now listen, Democrats are trying to engineer an election process to take advantage of the findings of a study done before the 2018 election. According to Data for Progress, the largest audience for Democrats' far-left agenda is low-income non-voters. Low-income non-voters. The outrageous funding scheme paid by Mark Zuckerberg and his wife helped approve Data for Progress's thesis in 2020, as we've talked about, as Molly Hemingway has talked and written about, with a $400 million donation to a nonprofit called the Center for Technology and Civic Life. The Zuckerbergs funded large grants to election offices with strings attached. Indeed, Blue City's election offices hired activists, left-wing activists, installed drop boxes, deployed mobile polling stations. In Georgia, Biden received 110,000 more votes in Fulton County, Georgia, than Hillary Clinton got in 2016. Yet he supposedly won the state by less than 12,000 votes. In other words, the strategy presumptively worked to get non-voters to vote. Democrats want to see the pandemic-related changes that many states have now outlawed become permanent nationwide. <clears throat> and that's what the so-called Manchin Compromise would have done. That's what it would have done. They're doing everything possible to get low-income non-voters to vote. And since low-income non-voters are not showing up at polling places, are not tracking the dates for voting, in some cases need help filling out ballots, the Democrat Party's trying to change election laws nationwide aim primarily at that group. Low-income non-voters. That's why they say they don't support voter IDs. That's why they say they don't support signature matching requirements. That's why they say they don't support having a legitimate reason to get an absentee ballot. That's why they do support early and earlier voting and voter harvesting afterwards, where they send these leftists dressed up as election employees to cure the ballots for low-income, previously non-voters, and basically tell them how to vote. Now you know the trick. Now you know what's going on. That's their target. Low-income non-voters. And they do not show up on election day. So they want to get the ballots into their hands the easiest way possible, and then get it out of their hands the easiest way possible. Always, of course, laundered through these left-wing activists. So election day is not election day. Seven days later is the end of the election. Four weeks before is the beginning of the election. Signature requirements, no requirements. Witnesses, no witnesses. Voter ID, no voter ID. That's exactly what's going on. Exactly what's going on. 
These speeches, like the kind Abrams gave in Virginia, set up the other narrative. When Democrats lose, it's because Republicans suppress votes. Lower voter turnout in 2022 will encourage the narrative. Midterms historically have lower turnout. And all indications point to Republicans having higher enthusiasm going into the next one. So unified governments also don't tend to last in the United States. But no amount of historical evidence will stop the stolen election narrative Democrats have been using consistently since 2000 when Bush beat Gore. So you will see, they use the voter suppression we would have won except for them all the time. 2016, they turned it into the Russia collusion matter, right? And by the way, Liz Cheney, what do you think about the Russian collusion matter? Oh, never mind. To bolster both of these narratives, Schumer vowed to bring H.R. 4, also called the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, up for a cloture vote as soon as next week. And that will likely break down along the same political lines. Once placed in this status, the Department of Justice must review and approve any change to the election laws in the states. Rather than using an objective standard, the legislation creates a lawfare nightmare by placing states in preclearance if they settle rather than litigate election lawsuits. One other thing, the Supreme Court, I think it was 2013, shot down part of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 because these states that had been under preclearance by the federal government, the voting section of the Civil Rights Division and the federal government, there was no evidence of pattern any, long, any longer of state-imposed discrimination on voting. So they said, you know, you come to this court, you haven't given us any evidence. And so, no, that provision of the, of the law no longer is relevant. It wasn't supposed to go on in perpetuity, ladies and gentlemen, and it went on and on and on. So why do the Democrats want it? Because any time the Republican legislature, Republican county, changes the election laws, they want to a before they want to have a preclearance process where the left-wing kooks in the civil rights division of the Justice Department prevent the change from happening in advance. And so the state and the county have to prove they're innocent of discrimination, rather than the opposite. This is all a scam. I'll be right back. Mark. Love in. Well, there's a little trickery going on with our friends, not at the New York Slimes. As you know, American Marxism was number one ten weeks in a row. By my calculation, Mr. Producer, that was two and a half months. Now, we've been on this list three and a half months. We get to see the number of books, hardcover books, that are sold uh, the following day by all the authors in these books on the list. So what happened last week was that my book actually beat Anderson Cooper's book. But they gave Anderson Cooper's book the five position, and they gave my book the number six position. Okay, I let it pass. Two days ago, the list comes out, and the numbers come out. When you look at the sale numbers, my book is number six on the list. They put me number nine on the list. Number nine, Anderson Cooper, far short of my book again, is in front of me. And by the way, this guy Woodward and the other one Costa, their book is really doing quite poorly. But I thought you'd want to know, 
how corrupt the New York Times truly is. And that's why I've always said we have to sell a hell of a lot of books to stay at number one because we have the it's like voting with the Democrats. We have a fraud factor. We'll be right back. Don't don't leave us. We got a ton more. See you in a moment. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Let's see. Uh, this is the Grinnell.edu.news. Grinnell.edu.news reporting that 52% of Americans believe democracy is facing a major threat. Well, of course it is. It's the Democrat Party. While 85% of Americans believe it's very important the United States remain a democracy, a.k.a. a republic, I assume, 52% believe American democracy is facing a major threat, according to the newest edition of the Grinnell College National Poll. The results of the poll were released yesterday. The concern that American democracy is facing a major threat is driven by Republicans, 71%, and those aged 65 and older, 70%. Only 35% of Democrats say they feel democracy is facing a major threat. Now, why would that be? Only 35% because they're in control of culture, the government, the media, the narrative, the schools. So, you know, I'm just shocked that 35% they feel democracy is facing a major threat. Oh, it must be January 6th, I guess. The sense that democracy is under threat is characterized by deep partisan polarization with Republicans rather than Democrats describing our democracy as facing a major threat, said Danielle Lucier, Grinnell Associate Professor of Political Science. It appears as though baseless accounts of fraud and stolen 2020 election have sharply eroded confidence in our system among Republicans and created a sense that democracy is facing a crisis. Now, I would tell this associate professor to read the book Rigged. By Molly Hemingway. Moreover, just read. All the dark money that flowed into that campaign, all the dark money that flowed into Mark Elias and Perkins Coie, the left-wing Democrat hack law firm. Yes. All the changes in laws that took place, including what I've been talking about a half hour ago. But, you know, it's, uh, what's the name of the college? Grinnell. Have you ever heard of Grinnell, Mr. Producer? Just Rick Grinnell, exactly. One in four of both those under the age of 35 and those identifying as non-white indicate remaining a democracy is only fairly somewhat or not at all important. Well, there you go. One in four of those under the age of 35 and those identifying as non-white. So under 35, non-white. Don't give a damn if we're a democracy or not. What if that has anything to do with our immigration system? Let's see. Uh, the poll shows incredibly few Americans, 7% of high trust in the federal government, offer good ideas to solve problems. Well, that, well, that's exactly why the Democrats want to centralize all decision-making about all aspects of your life. 
Of course. Because 7% know that the federal government will do a good job. And that's all that matters. Even among Democrats, whose party currently holds the White House and a majority in both houses of Congress, only 14% say they have high trust in the federal government. This is what's so bizarre. This is what's so bizarre. But these people have little or no trust in the federal government. They go to the polls and they vote for the Democrat Party. Why? They want freebies. That's why. They want freebies. Americans were somewhat more likely to have high trust in state governments, 25%. City or county elected leaders, 19%. Trust in political institutions is the glue that holds democracies together and allows them to weather crises over time, says Professor Lucier. Really? Well, the American Marxist movement is all about undermining our republic, pulling down monuments, burning our books, trashing our founders and our founding documents. Isn't that a problem? No, not at all. Not at all. January 6th, that's, that's the problem. Democrats and Republicans trust different groups to offer good ideas to solve problems. Did somebody get paid to actually write this? Doctors, scientists, public school teachers are highly trusted by Democrats. Among Republicans, doctors are highly trusted by only 48%, scientists 28%, teachers 31%. But Republicans place high trust in police officers. Only uh, 65%, only 22% of Democrats. So here's my thinking on this. 65% of any police force should uh, respond to and protect Republicans. 22% respond to and protect Democrats. Why not? Makes sense to me. But then again. Almost two in three Americans agree that ordinary people elected office would do a better job of governing than professional politicians. 51% of Republicans strongly agree. Only 17% of Democrats agree. So Democrats want lifetime politicians. Now, why do they want lifetime politicians? Freebies, like I said before. Now, there's disagreement on individual liberties. The widening division within the country, they write, is further evidenced by the value placed on individual liberties. Among a key set of issues, Democrats and Republicans had sharply different views on the kinds of freedoms Americans should have. Activities that a majority of Republicans feel should be absolutely free include refusing vaccines, 78%, punishing their children as they think appropriate, 67%, openly carrying a gun wherever and whenever you want, 58%, and being exempt from rules and regs that conflict with sincerely held religious beliefs, 55%. Majority, I knew this would be right at the top. A majority of Democrats believe you should be able to get an abortion during the first 15 weeks of pregnancy, 82%. How about the uh, last 15 weeks of pregnancy? Use marijuana recreationally, whether it's legal or not, 65%. And join a public protest that blocks city streets, 61%. Now look at that. That blocks streets, abortion, and marijuana. That's freedom to the Democrats. That's freedom to the Democrats. Majorities of Democrats and Republicans agreed upon the importance of freedom of speech and the rights of Americans to become as wealthy as possible. Now, that can't be true. That can't be true. Because uh, they don't believe in Americans being as wealthy as they want. They believe in redistribution of wealth. The have and the have-nots. That whole system that's set up. We have a wonderful guest coming up, but before I do, I want to hit one other subject that's very, very frustrating. 
and this is in the Daily Caller by Henry Rogers. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called yesterday on House Democrats to bring bipartisan legislation that has already passed the Senate to the floor for a vote. The bill would put those who killed law enforcement officers in prison and end a loophole that has set killers free. Can you believe this? The legislation is titled the Jamie Zapata and Victor Avila Federal Officers and Employees Protection Act and honors people like U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, that is ICE Special Agent Jamie Zapata, who was murdered by members of the Los Zetas drug cartel in Mexico in 2011. The cartel members had their convictions overturned based on a legal technicality. The bill would end the loophole so that law enforcement officers and their families get the justice they deserve. In a statement to the Daily Caller, McCarthy slammed Democrats for not bringing the bill to the floor for a vote. In late July, both the Zapata and Avila families wrote a letter to House Majority Leader Stempy Hoyer and McCarthy, calling on them to pass legislation in the Democrat-controlled House. Just days ago, the... National Police Officers Memorial Service was held on the grounds of the Capitol to honor heroes such as ICE Special Agent Jamie Zapata, who was murdered by the members of the Los Zetas drug cartel in Mexico in 2011. Jamie's killers were tried and convicted in Washington, but egregiously had their convictions overturned based on illegal technicality. So who's the guest we're having, Mr. Producer? Victor Avila retired ICE agent, who contacted me and said, Mr. Levin, nobody's talking about this. Do you mind giving me a few minutes to discuss this? I said, I'll do better than that. And that was yesterday, and today is today. When we come back, Victor Avila will be a guest on my program. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. It's an honor to welcome Victor Villa to the uh, program. How are you, sir? I'm very good, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for contacting me. Tell us the circumstances. Tell us what took place here. February 15, 2011, uh, I was assigned officially to the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City. I'm a retired ICE Homeland Security Investigation Special Agent. And we were sent on a dubious assignment on Highway 57, which is the main corridor between Mexico City up to the border in Texas. Uh, there was an alert by the U.S. Uh, ambassador uh, not allowing anyone, uh, actually prohibiting a- anyone from driving on that highway because of the cartel activity and the violence. And we knew this intelligence. That's what we did in Mexico. But my, my supervisors ignored that alert and sent us on this uh, assignment to go pick up some equipment from our counterparts from the Monterey ICE office, which we did, picked up the equipment, were returning back on Highway 57, and uh, Special Agent Jaime Zapata and I were the only ones in our armored suburban. On the way back, uh, we were forced off the road by two SUVs full of gunmen, which turned out to be Zetas cartel members. We didn't know that at that time. Forced us off the road and... Um, through a lot of circumstances, they were able to introduce uh, an AK-47 and a handgun on my passenger side window. The window had rolled down a couple of inches, and without notice, they opened fire 
And after over 100 rounds that they shot at us, uh, Special Agent Jaime Zapata tragically lost his life in the line of duty. I was shot three times, once in the chest, twice in my left leg, and uh, I'm here by the grace of God telling you the story. Uh, nevertheless, um, we were, you know, we were failed by the Obama-Biden administration because this is what had happened under them. Two of the weapons recovered were tied to Operation Fast and Furious. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But the reason I'm on your show today is because these individuals, these shooters, these evildoers were caught and extradited and brought to the United States and tried. And, of course, they appealed their sentence. And uh, almost two years ago, the D.C. Circuit of Court of Appeals granted their appeal. Mm -hmm. And what they, were, what they were appealing was the murder statute that was used to convict him of the, of the murder of Agent Zapata. The court said that the murder statute was not applicable because it happened extraterritorially, meaning it happened outside of the United States. And they dismissed it. So as I speak to you right now, there's no one in custody for the murder of Agent Zapata. They're there for my attempted murder and other gun charges. And so I got with uh, Congress and some senators, and I said, we got to change this law. And with the help of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, we've got a law going here, and it passed the Senate. We basically changed a uh, one-pager, changed the, the wording on the law to allow uh, any, any of these crimes to be tried in the United States under the statute. And we actually added assaults and also protections to the family members, because, as you know, we have thousands of agents serving abroad protecting our homeland. And so um, now, uh, after it passed the Senate, we just needed to hit the floor to pass the House. And believe it or not, we have bipartisan support in Congress uh, in this day and age that I didn't know that that still existed, but we do. And nevertheless, uh, you know, we got some pushback by Nancy Pelosi, and I'm hoping that it hits the floor next week. Why in the world would you have pushback by Nancy Pelosi? Because of the kooks that may be in her party, you know, who think the border should be open and anybody should come in, whoever they want, and they hate ICE and they hate the Border Patrol? Is that the mindset of some of these people? That's the only thing I could come up with because I actually had that conversation with my wife today, and, and I don't know why anyone would oppose this. This is a protection of the men and women that are serving abroad, uh, protecting our homeland. It doesn't make any sense that you would oppose this bill other than you hate the police, you hate ICE, and you want to defund them like they do. They want to continue doing. And I'm a big advocate for border security. Uh, if you get to know me, uh, Mark, uh, I, I continue to go down to the border. I just returned a week and a half ago from spending a week there. And I, I meet with the agents, I meet with the sheriffs, and I know exactly what's happening down at this catastrophe of a border situation and uh, and this open border policy that's destroying our country and uh, as an agent that worked most of my career on the border and born and raised on the border as well and working on both sides of the border i could tell you uh, exactly what's happening and and how it's going to destroy it. not just the illegal immigration but the cartels the the fentanyl the poison the methamphetamine that continue to bring in in here the human trafficking oh my goodness the the child trafficking that's my subject matter expertise is human trafficking and i rescued countless women and children from these horrific uh conditions and it has just exasperated in the last just few months that uh biden has been there 
Is it, isn't it shocking that on the American side we're now seeing human trafficking take place because there's so many people, so few uh, Border Patrol agents who are able to handle this? We're being overwhelmed, and this is a matter of a Biden administration policy. This must really upset you and turn your stomach. Boy, does it do that. Uh, it seems like a big failure from all sides. Uh, it, it, it really upsets me. Um, I'm very concerned for our state of Texas. I'm very concerned for our nation in the in the direction that it's going because this is, does not benefit anyone. I continue to say as I speak around the country that communities all around our country will be impacted in the criminal justice system, in the healthcare system, in the school system. Um, uh, what happened in Afghanistan is that has a big impact on the border. We have individuals uh, camouflaging themselves. I'm talking about special interest aliens that have ties to terrorism that uh, are going to infiltrate themselves coming in through the southwest border. And it, it is, uh, it's a national security issue. It's a public safety issue. And I can't say it enough to make people aware of the seriousness, seriousness of this issue. And by the way, they're now uh, these cartels. These guys are dressed in uh, camouflage and so forth, and they're shooting across the river at uh, at our border patrol, at our national guard, at state troopers. And uh, I mean, this can get completely out of hand, couldn't it? That's absolutely correct. And the last thing I want to see is bloodshed on that river. And but you're right. There's already been several shootings. One just uh, the other day, two in El Paso, one in California where the cartel has uh, fired across the river and the wall, by the way. Just a few months ago, they put up a big sign on the, on the other side of El Paso, Texas, in Juarez, Mexico. Uh, a big, the cartel said that we will go after U.S. law enforcement, uh, that the, their bullets do go through the river and they do go through the wall. These cartels have no, uh, no uh, you know, they just have no, uh, they just don't care for human life. And they don't care about border patrol or killing one of our agents. And, um, you know, this remain in Mexico policy that's supposed to be in effect and, and and all these other issues that Biden has destroyed that we had in place, the cartels are not going to like it. You know, you start interdicting these uh, human smuggling. By the way, there's a lot of human smuggling down there, Mark. There, mm-hmm. Not everyone is turning themselves in. There's a lot of people avoiding detection. I just came down from uh, Laredo area, Zapata County, down in the southern port, uh, portion of Texas, and it's all smuggling there. It's all avoiding detection and putting people in stash houses, and, uh, and these are the people that have criminal histories, their prior deports, and they're coming back into our, our communities. Victor, uh, I'm going to have uh, you and uh, Rich stay in touch. I want to know what happens next week on this bill, okay? And then I want to bring you back. Absolutely, sir. Thank you so much for having me. You're a hero, brother. I want to thank you for what you've done and and the people you represent trying to protect this country. Victor Villa. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the most popular conservative author in America. Call in to the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. Ian Pryor is one of the, uh, one of the patriots leading this movement in Loudoun County uh, to take the schools back from the radicals. Uh, Ian Pryor is on the phone right now. Ian, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me. Give a little bit of breaking news. What is it? Yeah, that's right. According to WTOP, um, for those that have been following the Loudoun County controversy, 
uh, they were they received an email through the Freedom of Information Act that showed that on the day of the alleged sexual assault back in May, the superintendent informed the entire school board via email that there was a sexual assault in a bathroom. Now, people should remember that this same superintendent three weeks later said at a public school board meeting that he was unaware of any records of sexual assault in bathrooms. And then the school board recently said they were not aware of any details of this story until news reports came out. Of course, the, you know, the, the horrific part of this story, obviously the first alleged sexual assault, but this kid was then allowed to transfer to a different school where he allegedly sexually assaulted someone two weeks ago. This is on Loudoun County Public Schools. This is on the superintendent. This is on the school board. We have been fighting these people for months, and this is why we've been able to get to the bottom and get the truth out. They have put students behind politics, and this is the result. And the bottom line here is every single board member either affirmatively lied or lied by their silence. The superintendent lied. The emails speak the truth. And this is why the freedom of information process, something I've been talking about even before what was going on in Loudoun County, is crucial in these school districts, isn't it, Ian? It absolutely is. You're never going to get to the bottom of what is happening in the schools where you send your kids if, if you don't go out there and get the information through legal means and get it out to the press and get it out to people so that they can actually see what is going on behind those closed doors. And this is, this is the result of that. Parents have been investigating, they've been communicating, and they've activated in Loudoun County. And people across the country should look in Loudoun County and look at what the parents were able to do. They are holding this school board accountable, and it doesn't have to stop in Loudoun County. It can be done at every school district in America. So what happens now? The next school board meeting, I assume people will confront the board and demand they resign. Well, they absolutely should resign. I mean, this is appalling. Uh, I can't imagine what the next school board meeting is going to be like. Look, they they just appointed a new school board member. He very well could be the only school board member at that meeting by this point in time because he's the only one whose hands are clean of this. I mean, this is just such a travesty of justice and a failure of government at every level. And I cannot imagine how this superintendent – And these complicit school board members can survive this. I mean, it is appalling. And we saw what happened at the Garland hearing today. He didn't know about this story. Well, he better know about it now because this demands the Department of Justice Title IX investigation starting tomorrow. I think he was lying, by the way. But uh, you're quite right. This requires an investigation. Now, maybe somebody will call the domestic terrorist hotline and report the uh, school board members and the superintendent. What do you think? Yeah, again, going back to Garland, you know, it was interesting when they asked him about this case and he said he didn't know about it, but it sounds like a state issue. No, no, no. What we're talking about is violating federal law, Title IX, and perhaps more. Meanwhile, when we're talking about domestic terrorism, what we're talking about is state law, right? State law, things like trespass, disorderly conduct, those are state issues. The Department of Justice has its priorities all backwards because it's completely politicized by this administration. And you worked at the Department of Justice, right? I, I absolutely did, Mark. And I can tell you one thing. That letter from the NSBA came out on uh, September 29th, and they were able to turn around and yeah. make a memo in like, <laughs> two business days. I mean, those things take weeks. You've got to tell the U.S. attorneys. You've got to tell the Office of Legal Counsel, Office of Legal yeah. Policy. You've got to coordinate with other cabinets and departments that are involved. Please, that thing was done, probably written well beforehand and given to the attorney general when it was convenient when they got that NSBA letter. 
It's a complete inside job, and the Republicans need to stay on this. People, by the way, you can FOIA the United States Department of Justice and see the internally uh, who wrote the memo, who was responsible for the memo, who signed off on the memo, any other communications that took place, too. So I would just tell my audience, you know, hundreds and hundreds of you ought to pile on and, and file those Freedom of Information Act and fire them right into the Department of Justice. Ian, keep up the good work, my friend. We're keeping a close eye on it. All right. Thanks for having me, Mark. All right. All my best. So there you have it. According to a news station in Washington, D.C., WTOP, Loudoun County Superintendent did in fact notify the school board members the same day a female student was sexually assaulted at the Stonebridge High School in the bathroom, according to an email that was attained by that news station using the Freedom of Information Act, ladies and gentlemen. That's in Chapter 7. You can get a ton of information, they're not going to like it, and you ought to file them one after another, after another, after another into these school districts. And by the way, not just school districts. Your local government, excuse me, your federal government, your state government, again, look at Chapter 7. Those of you who don't have American Marxism, please take a look. I walk you through it in Chapter 7. I I, uh, provide links and link information and organizational information that's provided there as well. That's what makes this book, in many respects, so unique. And you have people who are are familiar with these things now, and some of whom were familiar before, like Ian, uh, who are using this. But here you have a news station that did it. Loudoun County Superintendent notified the school board the same day a female student was sexually assaulted. They lied. They lied to the parents who were there. They covered it up. They covered up a rape. They covered up their knowledge of a rape of a 14-year-old little girl, a ninth grader, in their own damn high school bathroom. Because they wanted to push the transgender agenda, and they didn't want anything to come between that and their agenda. And they are supported by Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe supports the Loudoun County School Board. He supports the teachers' unions. He supports the cover-up. He opposed parents' activism and taxpayer activism. This is just ground zero, ladies and gentlemen, all over the country. All over the country. And now there's a piece in a local Loudoun newspaper, and I'm telling you this because it resonates throughout the nation. The Biden White House realized this. The Garland Justice Department realized it, which is why they're using Soviet and Liz Cheney tactics to try and kill it. Here's a piece. School district loses state revenue due to enrollment drop. This is Loudoun County, Virginia. One of the fastest growing counties in America. The richest county in America. The Democrats took over the school board 10 months ago and have destroyed it. Loudoun County Public Schools expect to see a $7 million drop in state funding during fiscal year 2022 because of decreased enrollment and community factors. While it's still only the first quarter, they talk about economic recovery as the county emerges from the pandemic. That's not what's going on. This year's enrollment of 81,318 students at the start of the school year represents, ready, a 7% drop from the original projected enrollment for the year. A 7% drop. That means almost 6,000 students they were expecting to show up did not show up. And it's going to get worse. The school district is eyeing sales taxes and lottery proceeds to help offset the losses. 
As of this quarter, their budget appears tight. Well, imagine that. Imagine that. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. School boards filled with liars and leftists. Not all, but enough. National School Board Association. Here you had the president and the CEO acting on behalf of the National School Board Association without even consulting their board of directors, most of whom objected to the letter. But they got their marching orders from the Biden White House, ladies and gentlemen, which is filled with reprobates and malcontents and miscreants, radical left-wing Marxist kooks who do not believe in representative government, despite what this feeble attorney general had to say today during the hearing. They don't believe in freedom of association. The purpose of that memo, as I said two weeks ago, the moment I read it, was to silence you. Just like this massive, transformative bill they're trying to push through, so they can... So they can watch your checking accounts and your saving accounts and your borrowing habits and your mortgage habits. So they can see how much money comes in and goes out. I'm telling you, this surveillance of the left, of the American Marxists, enough is enough. Folks in West Virginia, in fact, folks all over the country, it's time for a Levin surge. All over the country, Mr. Producer, find me... Find me the phone numbers of Cinema's office and Mansion's office. Make sure we get it right so, you know, we don't blow up the phone lines in a pizzeria or something. But their Washington office. It's time for a Levin surge. All America! These votes affect every single one of you. Whether you're in Alaska, Hawaii, or anywhere in between. This is a Levin surge when we come back after the break. I want you tomorrow to call Cinema's office and Manchin's office and tell them, vote no on this bill. Vote no. Well, are you from West Virginia? No, I'm from Idaho. But I've got money and I make contributions. All right, folks? I'll give you that information as soon as we return. Am I all covered up here, Mr. Producer? Caught up? We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an official Levin surge. If we've ever had a surge, this needs to be it. Everybody listening, you need to participate. I told you, we don't just sit here like a stiff and whine and complain and show about it there. We need action. Joe Manchin's number in his Washington office is 202-224-3954. 202-224-3954. Uh, Kirsten Cinema's number in Washington, 202-224-4521. 202-224-4521. I'll repeat it a little later. Uh, again, I want you to be quite civil, ladies and gentlemen. We're not like the left. Civil, polite, but firm and concise. Vote no on the Marxist social engineering bill. And if they say, well, you're not from our state, say, yeah, well, I can contribute to anybody I wish. It's still America. And this bill will affect me, regardless of where I live, and my family. 
I don't want a fundamental transformation of our economic system or our governing system. And that's exactly what this does, because Joe Biden said so. Joe Manchin, 202-224-3954, 202-224-3954. Kristen Sinema, 202-224-4521, 202-224-4521, especially those of you in Arizona and West Virginia, but all over the country. Please write those numbers down. If you forget them, you can go to at uh, Mark Levin Show Getter, G-E-T-T-R, or at Mark Levin Show Parlor. At Mark Levin Show Getter, at Mark Levin Show Parlor. As you know, I do not participate in Twitter or Facebook. Out of principle, I do not. So please participate. We need your help. I will be on Hannity in minutes, really. So right after this show, I got a bolt. But I'll be on uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time for you folks. I hope you'll join us. Uh, He's a great host, you know. Especially as far as I'm concerned, he lets me speak for six or seven minutes without interruption. Have you noticed that, folks? Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? Oh, yes. A solid dude, and I'm going to have a lot to say. He's a very, very good guy. One of my closest friends, like a brother. Really is. Very, very good guy. All right, Mr. Producer, I have not taken a single call. To whom shall I speak? Miramar, Florida, our buddy Ivan on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Ivan? Um, Mark, I'm, I'm always doing good when I'm talking to you, Mark. Hey, Mark, listen, I, I just want to... By the to way, Ivan, I bet you're glad you got the hell out of here, aren't you? Anyway, go ahead. Um, Mark, I, I can't tell you how much I, I love it. It's, it's like live free. That's what we do down here. We live mm-hmm. free. Mark, I just wanted to say, say I, I just, I, I'm down here in Florida, so I don't get to hear everything that uh, Youngkin says. But I just hope he understands the importance of this, and I don't have any reason to think that he wouldn't. But, but it's like I hope the last few days that he makes this a referendum on the Democrat Party. And as important as the transgender rape issue is, the Democrat Party needs to be on the, on the ballot. You know, all this crazy stuff they're doing about the suburbs in Virginia, you know, the, the, the vaccine mandates, you know, that they, you know, billion, I mean, thousands of, uh, hundreds of thousands of Americans losing their jobs. Unbelievable. You know, the border issue, the inflation, all of that needs to be on, on the ballot. The part that the Democrat vision for America needs to be on well, the ballot. Well, let me just put it this way, Ivan, because we're out of time. And thank you, brother. I really do appreciate you. If you want more inflation, if you want more taxes, if you want more tumult in your schools and racism being taught. If you want all these things and more, then vote for Terry McAuliffe because he's the chip off the old Biden block. They all march together. If you want to turn Virginia into Maryland, then go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all you patriots, taxpayers, parents, and all the rest. Don't forget, there's an active Levin surge going on right now. It's crucial. See you tomorrow.